Hello and welcome to a treasonous episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brent Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be concluding our first annual Star Wars trilogy with Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Anakin is the father, isn't he? Full-scale war, galaxy building, when the lights go down on the Jedi, a grievous error, and our special edition Sith point of inspection, blue versus blue. But before we do... Let's check in on the shop. You were the chosen one. You were supposed to clean the shop, not leave it in ashes. And seriously, if you don't return my phone call, I'm going to the cops. Whoa, that was, uh, that was intense. Uh, who was on the phone? I was Anakin's voicemail. The, the night janitor? Yeah, I, I think he's the arsonist we've been looking for. Wait, wait, you think he burned down the shop? Dude, I told you, I told you he was up to no good. Always arguing with our instructions, and come on, once he started dressing in all black every day? Yeah, I can't necessarily prove it, but I am reviewing security holograms. Anyway, I wanted to run it by you first, but I think we're going to have to take on another employee so that we can expand business hours. we got to find a way to generate more revenue, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad idea, but I just say we might need to do a better job vetting than we did with uh, old Anakin. Yeah, you're right about that. I'll, uh, I'll talk with the Wookiees down at the staffing office and uh, see if they have any good candidates. The, the Wookiee? Good relations with the Wookiees I have. Uh, good, good for you, but... Before you do that, I think we should wrap up the prequel trilogy and uh, talk about Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. After years of honing their skills in the Clone Wars, Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi and his Padawan Anakin attempt a daring rescue of Chancellor Palpatine, the not-so-secret Sith Lord. After freeing Palpatine, Anakin is tasked with spying on the Chancellor for the Jedi Council to prove his nefarious ways, but when he starts having visions of his dying wife, the young Jedi's allegiance is brought into question. With the future already written, how will the story before the story end? Alright Travis, before we jump into Five Point Inspection, I would love to know your quick diagnostic of Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I'm so glad that you called it a treasonous episode because I literally, I jotted down the line because I, I've loved it all these years. It's treason then. In my <laughs> in my day-to-day -day life, if people do things that I don't agree with and they go against me, I literally will quote that line. It's treason then. Most people don't get it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to play my cards close to the vest this week because... This was the one I was most excited about in the prequel trilogy, which based on our previous two reviews is not saying a lot. I have very fond memories of this movie. And I wondered were the fond memories due to, you know, you pitching in on a birthday cake for me that was Star Wars episode three themed. And the fact mm -hmm. that we saw it in theaters together multiple times, or did I actually think that was 
leaps and bounds better than the first two uh, in the in the prequel trilogy. Well, beyond that, so a little little background for the the audience here. We worked at the movie theater when this came out. We've seen it many, many times. Like anytime there was a break, we pop, pop, would pop into the theater and watch wherever it was in the movie. Like we've watched this movie a bunch of times. Not only that, we also during a break one time went to the grocery store next door and bought lightsabers and would actually carry them around on our belts and have just periodic lightsaber battles throughout the theater. Just you know, because we had it Star Wars, it just felt like it was a promotional thing. But we were just idiots at the time, so. I was in the exact same boat where I'm like, there's a certain part where I had to try and take the the nostalgia and just kind of the uh, the attachment I have to this movie and just our relationship. I, I mean, so that's honestly Star Wars in a nutshell for me. Is like so much of me loving Star Wars is the people that I love it with and the the stuff that we've done. So it was definitely, I think, of the three that we watched, this was the hardest one to try and, and take myself out of that and just watch it. Like, okay, me as a critic watching this movie with no attachment to it whatsoever. Oh, you'd make um, a good Jedi, sir. No attachment. None. <laughs> I didn't say how successful I was. <laughs> I just... <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I will say I definitely, it is the strongest of the the prequel trilogy uh without a doubt it is funny watching it my biggest complaint with this is i feel like somehow george lucas doesn't understand the difference between soap opera and space opera where he just thought well they both have opera in the name and kind of went with it because it's like there's so the the biggest the claim for what i'm talking about is the scene <laughs> where obi-wan kenobi tells padme that he watched hollow tapes of anakin killing younglings and it is just so overacted and ewan mcgregor and, and natalie portman are both fantastic actors and to watch that scene you're just like it's so it's so overdone oh my god brett i just want to i just want to tell you and maybe we can get into it now you tell me Anakin is the father, isn't he? Is my five point inspection to praise that scene because I thought it was the best acted in the trilogy, literally. So we're going to have a lot to talk about on that particular topic. Okay, we we can jump right into that one because I, I thought that, that that one is <laughs> it's it's so the way Obi Wan Kenobi and maybe it's the way the the shot is framed because he's in the forefront and the way he just kind of grabs his brow and he's no. like he's killing younglings right he does not grab his brow he covers his mouth his, and, oh yes he and covers. rumor has it he covered his mouth because he was accidentally laughing at how terrible <laughs> that line was i that particular line i agree that line is terrible but that scene as a whole i thought was very strong but but that's what i'm talking about it's like that is George Lucas to his nth degree. Is that that specific scene right there where it is the I saw him killing younglings and then Padme? No, it can't be. And you're just like, oh my god, this is so. It feels you've taken top A talent and made him just look like amateurs. Like this looks like an after school special. It's like it's insane how George Lucas can do that to people. It, it's just crazy to me because you could say that literally about all of the acting in the entire prequel trilogy. 
I just find it interesting that you pointed out the scene that I thought was the strongest <laughs> dramatically. But again, that's damning with faint praise because considering the acting and the rest of the trilogy, again, I think it's it's better than that. Still not good. <laughs> and see, here's going to be my weird thing. To me, the most authentic acting in the entire thing is burnt up Anakin screaming, I hate you, as he's like in pain because he's had three of his limbs cut off. I'm like... Hayden Christensen is doing a pretty good job here. Like the the anguish of pain as emotionally and physically of what's going on right now. I'm like, spot on. This is exactly how I think this would go down. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, nothing like saving the great acting for the end, because literally, I don't think Hayden Christensen gives a convincing line in the entire trilogy up until. Yeah, he, he plays a, uh, a paraplegic, you know, burn victim pretty well. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, I just, I just love it. It goes back to what we criticized about some of the other films where it's just like the Jedi for them having this sense and they can, at some point they can see the future, but the future isn't always certain and all that. I'm like, you should have been able to see a lot of the, like Anakin having children should not have been like whatever route, whether Padme died or not. I feel like her getting pregnant at that point, that's pretty, like that's in the future. Like, I don't think we have to question them. Like, I don't know why. The Jedi Council just constantly is just like trying to give Anakin the benefit of the doubt. I guess because they're so dead set on he might be the chosen one. But even Yoda makes the comment about like, well, maybe we read that scripture a little wrong. <laughs> it's just like, it's just, it's so crazy to me how blind they portray uh, and how inept the Jedi are in, in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, they're inept, but the, the, you're saying that they give Anakin every benefit of the doubt. But I feel like the Jedi are also very inconsistent because, yes, technically he is on the council because of Palpatine. But, you know, they go out of their way to say, we don't grant you the rank of master. But then they're like, hey, we don't trust you enough to be a master, but will you go ahead and spy <laughs> on Palpatine and report back to us? The Jedi are just constantly kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth and their decision-making process makes no sense to me. Well, I just love that. We'll allow you to be on the council, but you can't be a master. And then he freaks out and they're like, mm, this isn't a red flag at all that we should like, that there's some issues. Like, hmm, remember that whole thing we talked about rage when he was a kid? Like, mm, it might actually be a thing as he's an adult and like things are starting to hit the fan here. And, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the movie and, you know, obviously we tend to jump around a little bit, but Mace Windu, when Anakin tells Windu that Palpatine is the Sith Lord they've been looking for, even though the whole movie, Windu has not trusted Anakin, like goes out of his way to say he doesn't trust him. He just takes that information wholesale and acts on it. So he trusts Anakin to that level. But then Anakin's like, hey, can I come along? And he's like, no, I sense much confusion in you. So you're taking his word for it. And then two seconds later, you're saying he's very confused. And that seems to be conflicting to me. Well, also, I just love even Mace Windu. Again, I feel a lot of the dark side around Senator Palpatine. And that doesn't tell you he's probably a Sith Lord. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is that something in the Star Wars universe I'm unaware of that people can just be clouded by the dark side, but not actually have any force powers whatsoever? It's like, that dude's a dark motherfucker over there. Uh, you know, he, doesn't all, know, have, he doesn't have any midichlorians. He's just a dark motherfucker. Just, just bad vibes <laughs> off that guy. Bad vibes. 
<laughs> bad vibes but i feel like we're getting a little further away you you had something you wanted to talk about with anakin as the father and i, I don't if you have praise for that scene i want you to to be able to make sure you get an opportunity to talk about it it, it's primarily Ewan McGregor's delivery because I, I've said through the first two movies, I thought Ewan McGregor was the one actor who was able to overcome George Lucas. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I would not put this in the, the Hall of Fame of Ewan McGregor performances, but I feel like he elevates the shitty, shitty dialogue that he gets throughout this trilogy. I just love the the way he kind of approaches Padme and, you know, again, yes, he says, I've seen a security hologram of killing younglings. But he's essentially saying, yeah, you're. I know about you and Anakin. I know that kid is his. Uh, your baby daddy has really fucked up. And I really <laughs> am going to have to kill him. But I don't want to tell you I'm going to kill him because then you might not tell me where he is. And just kind of how he plays Padme, knowing that she's not going to give him up, but it's like, I'm going to alert Padme to this so that I can follow her to Mustafar. I thought that dramatically was the most effective because, again, McGregor met her in episode one. Excuse me. Obi-Wan has known Padme for all these years. So it's got to be mm-hmm. painful for him to come to her and be like, look, next time I see Anakin, I'm going to kill him. And your your kids aren't going to have a father. I just love again when he that delivery like Anakin's the father, isn't he? She doesn't say really say anything, and he's just like, "I'm sorry," and then just leaves like no console. He's like, just like, "Well, you fucked. I'm out of here." And I mean, you know what though? Maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but he's he's saying sorry because he's gonna kill Anakin. I almost feels like he's saying, you know what? He kind of turned bad on my watch. I didn't. I didn't do the greatest job of being his uh, mm-hmm. his his Jedi master. So just a lot of a lot of room for interpretation, which is severely lacking in the rest of the trilogy. So I'll at least give that scene that credit. The best way I can put it, Brett, it, it felt like a real movie for about two or three minutes, and not a George <laughs> Lucas movie. Well. So when we're just talking about Anakin, I think there's two more things I kind of wanted to bring up that I thought were interesting. First off, in Attack of the Clones, it is Anakin. He's a f- Obi-Wan is a father to me. Obi-Wan is a father to me. And then it's in Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan Kenobi being like, he was like a brother to me. He was like a brother to me. I'm like, this is weird where one of you is a father figure and the other one is a brother figure. Like, it's just to me, it's interesting that there isn't it's not a brother to brother type thing or like, I don't know if just at a certain point, George Lucas was like, ah, I think this makes more sense if it was like a brother versus brother type thing because he, George Lucas makes a, a point to make Palpatine almost the father figure by the end of the, this film, because it's very subtle. But when Palpatine goes to rescue Vader, as he's a burnt up crisp on the, you know, the lava river of Mustafar, there's actual, like, there's a, a few seconds where, like, it looks like Palpatine is, like, legitimately distraught. Like, this is a, a child of his that he's looking at. Like, not like a, oh, man, I just lost another apprentice like Dooku who got his head cut off. Like, this was, a, like, I really had, I had investment emotionally in this person. Which is what's lost in this movie. Because you find out that that Anakin and and Palpatine have a relationship, but we never get to see that relationship between the two of them. 
which would have been far more interesting in this trilogy, as we've said from the beginning, and I'm sure we'll talk about in the wrap-up, why not start this trilogy out when Anakin is already a Jedi Knight, and then you can build on these relationships with Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Jedi Council, Palpatine, and Padme, and you can see how he was basically torn apart, as opposed to all of these crazy time jumps. Like, this movie, I have no idea how long this movie is supposed to take place. Yeah, I mean, it essentially... There's been a whole the attack of the clones leads to the Clone Wars. We see none of the Clone Wars. I know that the the the, the TV show comes out years later, but we mm. literally see the beginning of the Clone Wars, and then this movie is is almost starting at the very end of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so much <laughs> content there. It, it 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 makes it defies logic to skip all of that, considering mm-hmm. what the the plot filler that we got in Episode One and Episode Two. Yeah, and that kind of transitions a little bit into full-scale war. The, the beginning of this movie is the first time in George Lucas's Star Wars films that it actually feels like there is a scale to the Star Wars, right? Where there's all of these battleships and there's fighters. Doesn't make sense why you would have two generals of your army flying through as opposed to, like, commanding from somewhere else, but whatever, Jedi, their special case, whatever, but... um. This is that that opening sequence is the first time it actually feels like there's there's something at stake. Like this isn't just a skirmish between some guerrilla warfare and in you know in per, per quotations in an empire. You know, it's like it actually feels like there's there's two large factions battling each other over Coruscant, um, and it's just a, it's a sad thing to know that. You know, again, the movie, this whole saga is called Star Wars, and it isn't until George Lucas's sixth film before we actually feel that level of of gravitas. Because even in Attack of the Clones, it's just a ground battle, right? It's just a ground war. This actually feels like there's giant ships and there's a lot more going on. Yeah, and I will praise the open in general. Yes, it does do a good job of, of showing the scale of warfare between these two factions, but... I, I thought the action was pretty well done. Again, I finally saw a little bit of banter between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like, mm-hmm. for a brief moment in, in this opening scene, I thought that they did a good job of portraying them as some level of friends, which, again, we talked about last week, was severely lacking in, in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Specifically the scene after they've crashed Grievous's shuttle, when he's like, oh, you need to go meet with the politicians, but it was your plan. And like that whole back and forth, like, oh, this, they actually feel like they like each other right now. Wow. Like, <laughs> yes. It only took until it's, the third film to give any sort of relationship between these two characters. Well, it's it's because George Lucas, we've talked about this before. George Lucas didn't have a sounding board. He didn't. He was surrounded by yes men. So basically all he had was the Internet to bitch about what he did. So you can see where each movie he did something, the internet tore him apart, and then the next movie, he fixed it. <laughs> like, he fixed that thing. Like, you know, if if George Lucas had had a couple more movies under his belt, I bet you by the last one, it actually would be a pretty awesome movie because he would have learned from the internet what he needed to do. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I I, I don't know if I know of a, a director who is reactionary, as, as reactionary as Lucas is, because, yeah... You know, you hate Jar Jar Binks. Okay, I'm going to take him completely out of the second movie. You know, you don't feel like there's been like, yeah, it it was kind of breaking the fourth wall to a point that the effort that they put into the banter between Obi-Wan and Anakin. 
yeah it is just such a bizarre thing to see somebody like i'm just gonna read the reviews and that'll direct me for the next episode it's like you should watch like i can't give him a miniseries can you imagine well the, but miniseries are all shot together <laughs> he'd be he'd be lost by the end of a miniseries where he couldn't go back and fix things but uh yeah, th there wasn't much to that point of inspection. I just thought it was worth noting that this is the first time in six movies where it actually feels like there is a galactic war going on or there is, you know, a, an actual struggle between between these factions. And even to that point where, like, you actually saw battles on different planets where there was the whatever the Kashyyyk. lizard planet thing. Not Well, Kashyyyk was one, and then where Obi-Wan meets Grievous. I forget what the Udipal. name of that system was. Yes, Utapau. Like, there's a lot of different set pieces. In each of these set pieces, you see some of the war going on. So, again, it, it actually feels like there's there's a lot more going on to this uh, because of those set pieces. Even if they are only 10 to 15 minutes apiece or, God forbid, execute Order 66 when you're seeing all the Jedi being annihilated across the universe, or, sorry, across the galaxy, you're seeing, again, different environments and stuff like that, which, you know, we talk about emotional, like, I thought that that was actually pretty well done with the emotional. And granted, again, we talked about having to remove ourselves from, you know, any kind of, uh, what is it? Oh, my God. Brain fart. Jesus Christ. Attachment. I was on a roll there for emotional a second. Emotional attachment. Nostalgia. Yeah, attachment. Yeah. Nostalgia. Thank you. Having to remove ourselves from any nostalgia. My problem is I also had to try and remove myself from from Expanded Universe because, Expanded Universe, they go into a lot more of the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, and even that with them and their clone commanders. So watching the Clone Wars animated series and then watching the clones turn on the, the Jedi is way more powerful because at that point you've actually seen like they had relationships. And for anybody who's not very familiar with the Extended Universe, they go on and I don't know if it was George's original plan or a retcon, but essentially what it is is uh, all of the clones have chips put into their brains when they are created, and that way when Palpatine gives Order 66, it basically snaps their brain, and like they have to obey that order, regardless of any emotional attachment they have to the Jedi. So it, it winds up, it is just a level of mind control at that point, where the clones don't have any choice whatsoever and wind up, you know... There, there's an excellent episode where the, the Jedi are having to try and a group of Jedi are trying to defend themselves against the clones where they don't want to kill the clones because they have a relationship and the clones are trying to kill them against their will. And you're just like, oh, my, this is actually kind of powerful watching. Essentially, you them try to not kill these people as they, you know, they're being forced to murder them. Um, but yeah, way more powerful. And, you know, I, I still think it was a pretty well done with the music overlay and then watching all the Jedi get murdered and all that. Uh, but it, it definitely adds more to it if you have seen the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah, it, watching this movie, I I assumed that the plan was always, hey, we can cash in by filling in these gigantic gaps, which is why, you know, General Grievous, you know, a Grievous error, you know, if you want to get into that. I like General Grievous, like, from a character design standpoint. I thought he was amazing. Like, I I remember being blown away. Like, I'd never seen anything like that on screen. I thought the voice actor was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I just, again, kind of in the vein of Darth Maul, I just, I felt like I wanted a lot more of him. And he kind of, he's just a coward that runs and then gets easily dispatched by Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
I guess this is going to be more shade to Dooku, but I'm just like, you came up with two iconic looking villains and you waste both of them immediately. And I know Grievous plays a much bigger role in the expanded universe, but again, the year so, this movie came out, there was no expanded universe yet, at least on, on screen that way. So there's a lot of interesting things that happen with Grievous. Um, the first part is, I don't remember if you remember watching the special features when this DVD came out, but when they... George Lucas did not know what Grievous looked like as he was writing the script for him. He basically had a bunch of character artists design it. And at, like, at one point, um, there was a Chiss child, like the, the blue-skinned, red-eyed um, was General Grievous. And like George Lucas makes like, oh, you think the commander of all the droids is a child? It's like, well, yeah, he's a genius child. Like they're playing, trying to play off of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn which again, extended universe type stuff, a beloved character from what was canon. Um, but ultimately, he settled on, he saw the Grievous design and liked that and went with it. So he didn't even know what he was doing with that character as he's writing the script, which is, to me, very strange. But then there was an... So there's the Clone Wars, which is the three animation, which was based off of... There was a Clone Wars animated short by the guy who did Samurai Jack, Powerpuff Girls, um, Grikins... I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name. But I, I know the guy you're talking about. Tar Tartakovsky yes. or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So they are fantastic. And in those, Grievous is a total fucking badass. Like, he doesn't have any voice acting, but he takes on, like, six Jedi and, like... The way it's animated, like, you're just like, I watched that and then went into it thinking, like, Grievous is going to be awesome. And they even use an explanation where basically as he's kidnapping Chancellor, Mace Wind, I think it's Mace Windu, goes to try and stop him and he crushes his chest and that's what causes Grievous to have the cough. All of that was done before, basically, Revenge of the Sith was completed. So by the time they... Those are no longer canon anymore. When it came out, that wasn't what George Lucas... That wasn't his vision anymore. So he changed, essentially, what the dynamic of what Grievous was as a character, even after people were making shorts about Grievous. Yeah, it, it, just like everything with George Lucas, it just feels half-assed and no... like. The fact that he had no real input on the character design, like you're writing a character without visualizing what he looks like in your head, and then you just take a design by one of your army of artists <laughs> and, and roll with it. Like that is the opposite of a, a visionary director. Dick, what's what's the script look like when Obi-Wan Kenobi drops in on him? Like is hello there, and it says lightsaber battle. Is it just in brackets there? <laughs> it's because like, we don't know that he's gonna have four arms or like what's it? it's just lightsaber battle. Like, is it just weird like placeholder text and then George just kind of like puts in like one of the directors you know you hate him, George uh or George. David Lynch is notorious for just, like, changing things on a whim. The difference is when David Lynch does it, I think it's interesting, it's weird, and I don't know if it always works. George Lucas, when he changes things, it doesn't work. It's just, like, on a whim, he's just like, eh, I've decided, you know, we're going to cut the scene, or Grievous is, uh, he's going to be a robot. Well, now he's not a robot, but now he is. It's like, it's or so Or like you weird. said last week, Brett, like, hey, I, uh, I wrote this scene, and... It requires the props department to build this table at day of. Nah, I'll, I'll find another reason to put the table in the movie. I 
spoiler alert, my time capsule this week is just me accidentally discovering more examples of George Lucas just being kind of like, eh, you know, it's a $150 million movie, whatever, I'll wing it. Yeah, and I just, there was a, another point where, uh, and this will be my last little George George Lucas uh, bitch session, but I believe, again, was the, we're watching the special features for this movie, and he would talk about how he would have an idea and he actually had some people that would like kind of resist him a little bit and be like, George, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a, a good idea or not. And his way of convincing people that something was a good idea is he would say, well, I brought it up with my good buddy, Steven Spielberg, and he seemed okay with it. And they'd be like, well, I guess it's, Steven's on board, then yeah, I guess we can do it. It's just like, that's what you had to do. You had to tell people that another legendary director was okay with the idea before people were like, okay, I, I guess we'll go ahead and go along with it. Like, that. what does that say about you? Yeah, basically, it's like, hey, I, I think you're a fucking idiot. I don't trust your opinion <laughs> at all, but if you're telling me Spielberg co-signed this, okay. <laughs> you're talking about <laughs> dropping names. Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. So, yeah, I, I have to agree completely with the Grievous error. I don't know why George Lucas could not pick. He knew he was making a, a trilogy, why he couldn't pick an overarching villain. It's just, it's strange to me that you wouldn't try and use it. Because Palpatine, yes, he's kind of the behind-the-scenes type thing, but I wouldn't have called him, like, the big baddie in this whatsoever. Um, and the sad part is, is, you know, they call this the, the Skywalker saga, the the nine movies or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's really the Palpatine saga, just because he's the only character who seems to have something from beginning to end. And even to that point, that wasn't George's, you know, what they did with the, the sequel trilogy. And um, But yeah, not, nonetheless, just very strange that he is so adamant at just killing off villains like that before giving them any time to really develop and become something interesting like he somehow created the most i would argue the most iconic villain of all time with darth vader and then could not figure out how to do anything close to that he visually he did with darth maul but in terms of actually building out a character couldn't do anything with him well i mean because he never gave himself a chance to i mean you know, Dooku is literally intro introduced in the crawl of episode two. Like, we don't even know who that character is. It's just a name drop. And then, like you said, an hour and a half into the movie, here he is. And it's kind of the same <laughs> way with Grievous. I feel like Grievous is introduced in the crawl. Like, if you're a fan mm -hmm. of it, you would argue that, like, oh, this is supposed to be like, you know, Saturday morning, you know, cartoons kind of, you know, episodic stories. But... It just doesn't make for good filmmaking. Mm. Um, one thing I will say about Lost Opportunity that I, as I was watching, I was like, I can't believe he didn't take this opportunity. At the very end, when Anakin is being put into the Darth Vader armor, first off, I think it should have been a proto-Vader armor. I think it should have been something close to what he has in A New Hope, but it shouldn't have been like, oh, we just so happen to have all of this laying around and it never changes. Um, but... It's him being made into Darth Vader and Padme giving birth. And I am stunned that he did not line up those shots to where Padme's last breath is Darth Vader's first. 
I mean, it would have been so poetic if, like, she dies, and then that's the first from Darth Vader at that moment. Like, oh, my God, like, that is that is the moment that he is born. Um, yeah. Well, not only does he not do that, Brett, he takes what should be the most powerful scene in this whole trilogy and punctuates it with James Earl Jones yelling, no! no! Like, you want to talk about <laughs> destroying a great moment in a movie? And, I, again, I, that's a flourish that George Lucas put on there for God knows what reason, and it, it just, it poisons that whole scene. Yeah. It's, it's also weird, like, you're going for the whole Frankenstein's monster thing, but... I just feel like Darth Vader needed to be a little bit more filled out. Like he looked very skinny in his Darth Vader armor. Like he didn't, he looked like he needed to be bulkier to really feel like some kind of monster or something like that coming off of that. He just, I don't know. That's just to me. I don't know. I just thought he looked very slender. <laughs> well, he, for better and worse, you, they, they had Hayden Christensen in the suit. So yeah, to your point, it, it looks like Hayden Christensen in the suit, which is not the imposing Darth Vader that we remember from, you know, 1977. Mm. But now that I'm done kind of bashing on George Lucas, I do want to to somewhat compliment what I think he was. I want to believe as much as he said he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I think he knew what he was doing with this. And that's when the lights go down on the Jedi. All right. I thought it was very interesting what he chose to do as Anakin is he's finding out that Chancellor Palpatine is Darth Sidious. There's a whole point where the two of them are rotating in their conversation. I'm like, oh, this is just, you know, basically Anakin's mind warping and twisting right now because they continue to circle each other. There's no battle or anything like that. It's just it's. You know, it is a a visual representation of Anakin's mind being twisted and warped by by Palpatine in that moment. And then he goes to the Jedi, Mace Windu, and tells him in the time of days, it's starting to sunset. And I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of visually poetic because it is basically it is the end of Anakin Skywalker. It is Anakin Skywalker in the Jedi Order itself are sunsetting right now. We are watching the end of that. I'm like. It is, it's cool. I'm like, again, I had to hope that that's what he was going with. And as you're watching Padme Amidala, she's watching the sunset. It's like, we, as an audience, are watching basically the turn and the, the galaxy is now being put into darkness, right? We're literally watching the sun go down and the Empire is being born. Anakin, or Darth Vader is born in the darkness when Mace Windu is thrown out the window. Like I said, I, I assume that that had to have been done on purpose. And I, I I thought it was very cool visually that that's how he decided to represent that at that point. Man, I, I love that. I I definitely noticed the sundown motif. I didn't think about it to the degree that you're describing. And I would love to give Lucas that credit. But I mean, what... Can we talk let's let's can we talk about the the actual turn though of Anakin because mm -hmm. yeah. any gravitas that was achieved by you know this is the sundown of uh a democracy and the birth of a, a a tyrannical empire the actual turn from Anakin is just so poorly acted that any any gravitas earned is immediately spent and wasted 
with the actual turn. I mean, th- th- what have I done? After he, <laughs> like, that, the line delivery is just so awful. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I do think as George did try and portray that Anakin had regrets. And that moment, and even after he he murders all of the Separatists, he's crying on Mustafar. Tears on Mustafar needs to be the, uh, a, a jizz album. Um, jizz is, of course, uh, space jazz from George Lucas. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, they, you know, I think he tried to do a decent job of, of trying to show Anakin, it should have been a slower transition. It seems like he snaps pretty damn quick. Um, even at the beginning when he cuts off Dooku's head, it's like, didn't take a lot of convincing for you to kill Dooku. It really didn't. And then when you understand why he wants to keep Palpatine alive, but when he's like, no, Mace, it's against the code. It's like, it wasn't against the code when you chopped a, two, a, de- a dude's two hands and his head off in, earlier in this movie, yeah, but you're right. It's totally an issue now. Why is he the only Jedi wearing black again? Is that a, I don't, is that a problem? <laughs> yeah, I brought that up in the open. Like, nobody's concerned yeah. <laughs> about the fact that he's just completely breaking the dress code. <laughs> it's just, again, I, I don't want to bag on lucas because lord knows my my time capsule is going to do exactly that as well but this is not this is the third movie of a prequel trilogy about how darth vader came to be and you just have him be a petulant asshole up until the point that he becomes a child murdering psychopath Mm -hmm. well and even george lucas vision visionary he completely he he is really great at cutting himself off at the knees because you have the scene where Anakin is becoming Darth Vader. All right. It is supposed to be very powerful. This is the turning point for him. Right. And it is spliced with the Kenobi grievous cartoon fight. And you're just like, you are somehow. And I don't know if you, he thought the Kenobi grievous fight had more tension to it than it did, but I'm like, that's the problem when you have two real actors, what's going on with Anakin and Palpatine, and then you have Hugh McGregor fighting a CGI cartoon monster. Like, there's nothing there. Like, God bless you and McGregor for what he's able to do, but at the end of the day, you're taking something very powerful and then putting it together with, you know, Space Jam, essentially, with Michael Jordan playing with Bugs Bunny. Like, it's just, it's so weird to me that that's how, that's how you would cut that scene. And I realize it's a time thing because you have to say, this is what's happening to Anakin while this is happening to Obi-Wan, but there has to be better ways to do that than what, how he executed it. And I mean, this is the same director that in episode one gives you Duel of the Fates interspliced with Anakin, you know, Oops, I'm a great pilot. I accidentally saved the day. Like, so that's just, that's a George Lucas standby. Yeah, it just, so, so bizarre to me. So bizarre that that, that that is how you would cut that, cut that up. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm just trying to look through my notes here. If if there's anything I brought it up a little bit before. We'll go into galaxy building and I'll bring it up here and then we can clean up. I do appreciate that we had so many different locations and it really, this is a movie where it really built on what was all going on in the galaxy. I will say, I I said before, I don't understand the timeline of this movie because having a child unless in a galaxy far, far, far away, different, di, you know, uh, digest, 
festive periods. That's digestive. Whatever. Uh, how long it takes to have a baby? 10 months. Here we go. All right. Impregnation to birth. 10 months. Not nine as many people think. But Anakin's first comment to Padme in a very open space is they're kissing um, in their <laughs> secret relationship is it feels like an eternity since I have seen you. And if it weren't for Grievous, I feel like it would have been longer. All right. And then Padme drops on him. I'm pregnant. How far along is she? Because she also gives birth at the end of this movie. So I'm like, it can't have been too preterm. Otherwise, those babies would not have looked nearly as formed as they were scooped out with. All right. Um, again, that robot had fucking... It looked like scoops. It looked like scoops to get the kids out. It's... <laughs> but... Um, so I'm just like, how much time was he away that he got her pregnant and then now, like, she has to be showing at this point if she's going to have the babies at the end of this movie. It's like, does George Lucas not understand how time works? Or, like, it's just... It, it goes back into this whole, this whole trilogy. He just tried to shove so much into it, but he controlled everything. And it just... It, you just you hate to see it is what happens because you're just like it doesn't make any fucking sense other than he's just throwing dialogue out there that he wants them to say like i need them to say it feels like an eternity because that feels like something people who love each other would say <laughs> if they've been apart <laughs> I, I mean i think that you've you've hit at the root of the problem is it it doesn't seem like george lucas actually understands human emotion he's kind of like an ai that spits out what you, what he thinks like is a human emotion. <laughs> I, because, yeah, to your point, it, it, all of the dialogue in this movie, the whole trilogy, it, it feels like daytime soap opera quality. Like, that's the delivery. That's the, the quality of the dialogue. Like, you take Aaron Sorkin, for example. Like, I can always know when... I'm hearing Aaron Sorkin dialogue because it's a little flowery. It's a little wordy, but it still sounds good. The absolute opposite end of that is George Lucas, where you recognize his touch because it just, again, it sounds like a, a speak and say. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. But the galaxy building, uh, pretty, pretty cool. You know, seeing Kashyyyk, that was apparently the original, Return of the Jedi was supposed to be Kashyyyk, and it was supposed to be the Wookiees versus the Empire. But I guess, I think they it says that it was budgetary is the reason he chose not to do it. But a lot of people theorize it was actually because he had kids around that time, and he decided that the teddy bears were cuter and better for the children than a bunch of Wookiees. So, which I 100% believe that. Yeah. So he got he got his Kashyyyk battle in that he always wanted to do. And you know what? As much as I appreciate the world building of that, and, and he still kind of ruins it by why does Chewbacca have to be there? Like it can be a bunch mm -hmm. of Wookies. <laughs> why do we have to shrink the universe by making it Chewbacca? How old do Wookies? Because Chewbacca had to be at least like early adulthood in the prequels, and he makes it all the way to the sequel trilogy. So I'm like, how long does a Wookiee live? crazy as long as they can sell chewbacca merchandise is as long <laughs> as he can live yeah so that's 
that's about it for, I think, our main five points, unless you have anything else. Of course, with this being Star Wars, uh, this whole trilogy, we decided we would add a, a special edition Sith point inspection where we would talk about the lightsaber duels in each of these movies. So um, the longest, I think it still is, I don't think any of the sequel trilogy beat it out, but the longest lightsaber battle in Star Wars cinema history... What are what are your th- I of course I'm talking about Obi Wan and and Anakin. What what are your thoughts? Many years later. Well, I wanted to bounce it back to you. I I just want to ask the real question: Do you take Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes, Brett? I I to me those are the two best lightsaber fights in the entirety of the Star Wars universe. Feel free to disagree with that if you will, but if you agree with me, which do you take? I agree, and I think I'm going to take Battle of the Fates. Wait, no, you just you just mix them. Duel of the Fates yeah. or Battle of the Battle Heroes? Battle of the Fates. No, Battle <laughs> of the Fates. I said what I said. Duel, Duel of the Fates would be my, my preference. Okay, and you know what? I have to agree with you, uh, but before before watching it, uh, before watching Revenge of the Sith again for this review, I I was a Revenge of the Sith, uh, you know, Battle of the Heroes guy. Uh, but I think if you're just talking from a technical standpoint, I'll still take the Darth Maul fight. I think what elevates Revenge of the Sith's fight is it it finally feels like there's some real pathos in it because it's it's finally it's what you've been waiting for for three mm-hmm. movies yeah go going back yeah rating the the lightsaber battles i i would put darth maul then the anakin obi-wan and then i it's one i guess one of the things from attack of the clones i i don't know uh when obi-wan kenobi fights uh jango fett that okay. was the the battle I would yeah from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> but uh, also, I don't know if you've ever done any of the research, or it it came out an article came out I think a month or a couple of months ago about actual um, Duel of the Fates and everything that went behind that and why he you know John Williams used the choir. It's a really interesting article to hear just the the thought that went behind that song and it makes it even better than than just listening to it it's just it makes it absolutely fantastic like it's it i'll try and find the article it is definitely worth looking at yeah send that to me if you can um because it's interspliced with the anakin obi-wan fight why exactly does yoda just decide ah, i give up i i can i have to go into hiding now like he wasn't dramatically losing that fight i didn't feel like well, I guess he lost his lightsaber, so he wouldn't be able, you know, and according to Dooku, when you're matched with power, it all comes down to lightsaber technique, and he didn't have that anymore. Um, I don't know if it was a timing thing. He just decided that, yeah, at this point, it's only a matter of time before some clone troopers show up or something, but I did think that scene was interesting, though. Again, maybe giving Georgie boy a little I more credit than he deserves. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Palpatine is literally destroying the Senate. Is literally dismantling the Senate. Yeah, I was like, "Mm, this this is on the nose. I appreciate this. Did he mean to do that, or did he just think it was fun to have them throw things at each other with the Force? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because 
it's if so I'm honest, one of my one of the things I oh sorry no go saying? ahead go ahead. Listen, one of the things I laughed at the most in this movie, because I'm sure on paper it sounded awesome, was when Obi Wan and this actually goes back to Blue vs. Blue, when Anakin and Obi Wan are fighting at the end and they both almost touch hands because they're force attacking each other. I was like, this looks so cheesy and stupid. I'm like, this is why whenever you see a superhero movie or anything, they always have to have some kind of weird particle effect to whatever they have is because when you're saying you you're for like using the force against each other and there's nothing there, you just look like kids like with pretend like, Oh, I'm, I'm using it on you. And you're like, you're just like, Oh, like maybe like, <laughs> I can't believe this didn't get cut out of the scene because it just looks kind of silly. And then they force each other back. And I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe that on on actual film doesn't doesn't convey what it did in paper. Yeah, it's it's kind of the uh, the old X-Men Magneto problem is that you're just hiring an actor to stand there and, and raise his arm and just kind of <laughs> look super serious about it. Absolutely. Uh, but I think you had something else you were going to say. Uh, no, I just t- to the point about does George Lucas know what he's doing with Palpatine dismantling the Senate? It was as it's on the nose enough to believe that. Yes, I think he did that. That was intentional on his part. I will give George Lucas one compliment in this movie is I, I think he he nailed that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's another one like, as as the lightsaber battles going on so i believe if i remember correctly the yoda palpatine is kind of spliced with the anakin obi-wan and yoda palpatine it finishes early and then palpatine is basically like hey i sense that lord vader is in trouble we like ready my shuttle also and the original trilogy i felt like going light speed actually it still took time depending on how far you were going as opposed to this movie where it's like well if i need to get somewhere it's just like i'll just it's kind of a hot hop skip and a jump and i'm there um especially because mustafar is supposed to be on the outer rim and croissant or croissant croissant is i assume supposed to be in the middle somewhere um but um it's just one of those things where I'm like, Palpatine seems to have such vision of the future that he's confident in pretty much anything. That's like, I'm going to tell Anakin, Anakin's going to tell the Jedi, and this is how this is going to play out. But he's not solid enough to know that Anakin's going to get his ass beat on Mustafar. I'm like, how? Like, I, again, I know we have the throwaway line, I believe in Attack of the Clone, or no, it might have even, no, I think it was this one where he's like, the future is uncertain, because that's when Anakin comes to ask about, because Padme's going to die, and he talks to Yoda, but I'm like, it just seems like Palpatine's very certain, and then uncertain when it's convenient. I mean, to your point, he's certain enough to go ahead and have a, uh, a, a breathing suit tailor-made for his new apprentice, including, I guess... <laughs> robotic legs like so not mm-hmm. only did you anticipate he would have breathing problems you also anticipated that he would lose both his legs i again it just goes to george lucas just making this shit up as it goes along and another thing that doesn't make any sense why was in terms of yoda and going into exile why was his pod hidden on kashik like when the wookies bring him up they're they're pulling leaves off of it like it was concealed i'm like at this point in time he was part of the republic army i don't understand why he landed this all the way out in the countryside and hit it like this it's too small for a wookie so it wasn't a wookie pod like i just don't understand what this like 
this also doesn't make any sense Sm- unless Yoda saw this future and didn't do anything. He says smooches. <laughs> yeah, again, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if the day of George Lucas is like, wouldn't it be cool, like kind of like in Vietnam, you know, a ship concealed in the jungle, and and that's the extent of it. And just Jedi and lightsaber battles in general in the prequel trilogy, specifically Revenge of the Sith, I think George Lucas doesn't know how to convey the strength of a Jedi because you go from Obi-Wan Kenobi just tearing it like General Grievous has four lightsabers and Kenobi has one and is just able to fight him off. And you're like, am I supposed to assume that Kenobi is just a really powerful Jedi? Because then you have Mace Windu take four, three other Jedi to take on Palpatine and Palpatine just tears into the other three like it's nothing. And I'm like, so like, what is like, what is the power level of a Jedi? Like, I have no idea if is this impressive or not impressive what's going on right now, because there's really no distinction as to if a Jedi is good or not as Grievous is to me. Grievous just seems like he's a pushover and doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And the same thing with Dooku when he gets his hands and his head cut off. I'm like, so what I it's very hard to gauge or have any tension because I have no idea. There's no frame of reference to any of these battles or like, or, you know, the, the talent of any of these people. And to further your point, uh, you know, the order 66 scene as powerful as, as it is with John Williams score doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Even then you've got, uh, the, the blue, uh, girl toilet. Yeah. With the, like the ears or mm-hmm. whatever. She's just kind of walking through a forest and the clones just stop walking. She turns around and it's just kind of like, what's going on, guys? And then just gets shot in the head without even producing her lightsaber. Like, I understand she was ambushed. She had no way to expect that. But again, it she doesn't seem capable at all. And yet, like you said, Obi-Wan can disable Grievous in just a, a flick of the, the lightsaber. And it was at Cal- Calia Monday or something. The the dude with the really big forehead. Um, he he's on the Jedi Council, right? Was it five clone troopers? He can't deflect their bullets. He gets killed. But Obi Wan Kenobi and Yoda take out an entire flank of them when they're trying to re-enter the Jedi Temple. It's like there's just there's no again no understanding to me as to what exactly is the power level of a jedi or a jedi master what am i supposed to be expecting here with any of this stuff and i don't think that in of itself is problematic i think you could probably say that about most marvel movies like the the power scales tend to change based upon plot convenience but again when you have terrible acting and just non-stop nonsensical decisions by characters that kind of stuff sticks out even more because it, it's not being hidden by great acting or necessarily great action scenes. It just stands out. Yep. And yeah. So I don't know. I think that about does it for me for, for five point inspection with our special Sith point inspection. Do you, did you have any more you wanted to go into before we jump into some of our other segments here? Uh, no, I think I'm ready to move on. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and do blue book. Uh, I know we ran a little bit long, and I, th- <laughs> I hate to say I think our chop shops are going to be interesting because we're <laughs> concluding a trilogy. But uh, for Blue Book, all right, Travis, the sticker price of this year flick was one hundred and thirteen million dollars. That's what an estimated cost to make. 
what do you think it grossed U.S. and Canada? Oh, U.S. and Canada, I'll say $325 million. All right, three hundred and eighty million. Ooh, okay. So you weren't you weren't you weren't too far off in the grand scheme of things. Um. So now that you know what it grossed U.S. and Canada, what do you think it grossed worldwide? I'm gonna say it was an uptick and an improvement on Attack of the Clones, if for no other reason than people. This was what you've been waiting for. Uh, so I'll say seven hundred and. 85 million. 868 million. Okay. okay. So, yeah, it, it definitely didn't come anywhere close to Phantom Menace, um, but it beat Attack of the Clones by about $200 million. And I, so. I think that's probably a combination of word of mouth and if this is the final one. The last one, yep. So, uh, yeah, plus... Darth Vader was all over the promotional. I mean, at one point, I don't remember how long it was in the theater, but at one point I remember at the theater we got those, like, I it was, I know it was uh, during Father's Day it was in the theater because we got all of those mini posters that's, who's your daddy? And it was a picture of Darth Vader. And it's just like, this does, like, someone marketing came up with this as I feel like a joke. And, like, it never should have actually been printed because it feels off-brand for Star Wars or at least what I expect from Star Wars, but, like, it's like, whatever. Like, I think we all had about 600 of those posters because you just got sent boxes of them, so. But, uh, yeah. All right. Well, now I think we'll we'll jump into one of my favorite segments, Tag and Title. You ready for some Tag and Title? Let's go. Unlimited right. power. Unlimited power. I also love that that wasn't a clear indication to Anakin that this might be. <laughs> like He's like, uh, I have no, I'm so weak, I'm dying. And then as soon as he cuts off Mace Windu's hand, it's unlimited power. Like, that's a little contradictory to the comment you just made, home dog. Dude, the overacting on Palpatine's part there was just Fucking chef's kiss. I, 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 I'm too weak. He might have been my favorite performance the entire movie. Like there, the moment he like turns it on, like he's so fantastic. I sense. What's it? What's he say about? Uh, the force, yeah. The force is strong with you. And you're just like, this is so weird and fantastic. I love all of this, dude. And every time Anakin like is like, yes, master, he's like, good. <laughs> Rise, Lord Vader. <laughs> Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? Like, yeah, he just he just said you were under arrest. That's that's a pretty safe assumption. That's a threat. I mean, it's just crazy how different his performance is throughout the movie. I mean, how he plays it there, like the weird, like, ooh, yeah, like Kool-Aid man performance there, then the cackling, like, wizard witch when he's fighting Yoda. <laughs> I'm like, he's just, he's all over the place and exactly where he needs to be every, in every scene. It's, he's fantastic. <laughs> and, and last thing, because I, I know I'm taking this way back, but at the beginning of the movie when Obi-Wan and Anakin show up to rescue him and he's like, 
chained to that chair, but he turns around. He's clearly like, he looks evil as fuck. Like, are you not concerned? Like, he's just alone in that room. Like, there's again, not sure why this shot needs to be in the movie, but while they're fighting, he literally goes like, yeah, ooh, ah, yeah. Like, if he had a free hand, it would be with popcorn, where he's just watching, like, yeah, ooh, yeah, get him, yeah. <laughs> just, oh, so yeah, and the, and the quickness of just, like, kill him, kill him. Like, yeah, <laughs> overzealous fanboy. Oh, absolutely love it, absolutely love it. All right. Do you... I ha- I think I failed miserably this. This is, this is probably my... The, I chose two movies. I'm going to make it a little hard on you again this week. Um, it's not going to be hard at all. I think there's a good chance you'll guess one, if not both of them. Um, I tried again. Uh, let me just, just for new listeners. All right. So tag and title. Uh, under normal circumstances, I would give Travis three taglines. One tagline is an official tagline for this movie. One is a tagline that, from a movie I found adjacent. And one is a tagline that I created myself. Um, I took two adjacent movies this go round, but I think I, you're going to pick it out pretty quickly. Um, I just trying to think of something I thought was similar to this. They just had very specific taglines. Um, I'm probably already giving away too much, um, but here we go. Are you ready, Travis? So as a reminder, you'll have a tagline I created, a tagline from the movie, and two taglines from adjacent movies. So here we go. Return to the magic. An empire is born. The saga is complete. And for freedom, for family, for the planet. Um, the saga is complete is definitely from this movie. I can I can one hundred percent guarantee that. All right, you, you put the Vince McMahon guarantee that's on a, it. That's a Vince McMahon. Lock it in. Um. I mean, maybe you were sandbagging, but I I don't know that I know the adjacent movies. You said the last one was for family, for freedom, for the planet? For freedom, for family, for the planet. Uh, is that Independence Day? Uh, 2017's War of the Planet of the Apes. Ah, okay. It was the end of a trilogy where a war took place. Well done. Well done. So now it's between an empire is born and return to the magic. Empire is born. I'm going to say you. You created that one. A return to the magic. I'm going to get very specific and I I think I'm wrong here, but in case I happen to nail it, I want to throw it out there. Is this. No, 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 no. Okay, can I ask one clarifying question? Let's do it. This is not... You didn't use a tagline for a re-release of Star Wars, did you? No. Okay, no. all right. Return to the magic. Return to the magic. It's, it's, it seems so familiar, but Brett, I... It's, I guarantee you it's not familiar. I'll tell you this. Okay. It is the third movie of a prequel trilogy. I oh, do not think you'll get it. Fucking something from The Hobbit. Mm-mm. Uh, I'm, I'm stumped. Chronicles of Narnia. In 2022's Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 
which I have not seen, but I felt like that movie probably follows a very similar. Yeah, I uh, I had another alternate for myself, Rise Lord Vader, but I did not think. Uh, I did not throw that one out there. Yeah, I, I would have saw you coming with that one. Mm hmm. Um, so with that you said you have some time capsule for us this week. Yeah, just two more minutes to bag on George Lucas, if you will. I was just reading some. Of <laughs> I the... could do it for a lifetime, if I'm honest. <laughs> Brett, I just want to say. I... Even in the Wikipedia article for this movie, I could feel whoever edited the Wikipedia does not like George Lucas either. Um, so, number one, did you know that Lucas originally planned to include a young Han Solo on Kashyyyk? Yes, he did. Because, again, of course, of course, that's a George Lucas idea. Let's make this fucking universe even smaller with a young Han Solo. Um did you also know, Brett, that after principal photography was complete in 2003, Lucas made even more changes in Anakin's uh, character, rewriting the entire turn sequence? Uh, and here's where I thought that they were giving some snark to Lucas. It says, Lucas accomplished this rewrite <laughs> <laughs> through editing the principal footage and filming new scenes during pickups in London in 2004. So... We kind of briefly touched on how terrible the turn from Anakin to Vader is in this movie. And apparently it's his second pass at it. Like this was him improving upon something in his mind. So what was the original fucking turn? The The problem is George Lucas is the kind of person who doesn't understand the difference between finished and done. Where he's like something can be finished where it's just like this is it. Like I know I can tweak this to hell and back. It'll never be done. But it needs to be finished so I can move on. So he's the guy who's constantly, and you know that because of how many times he went back and tweaked the original trilogy, where he wanted to make, Greedo had to, to shoot first, because that was his original plan. It's like, no, it makes more sense for Han to shoot first. And I'm a, I'm a unapologetic Han shot first person myself. Same, um, same. Um, I'm like, when he goes in and puts the scene with Jabba the Hutt, it's like, that didn't need to be there. Not only that, you had to do some weird CG thing because you didn't even know Jabba the Hutt was a slug at the time you shot that. It was a fat dude in a fur jacket. Like, it's just, there's so much where it's just like, George, just stop. It's finished, all right? It's finished. Yeah, and one last note. Um, since Lucas refocused the film on Anakin, he had to sacrifice certain extraneous plot points re relating to Attack of the Clones. Lucas had previously promised fans that he would explain the mystery behind the erasure of the planet Kamino in the, from the Jedi archives. However, Lucas abandoned this plot thread in order to devote more time to Anakin's story, leaving the matter unresolved on film. Again, to your point, he caves to the pressure so much that he got shit because Attack of the Clones was kind of boring so i don't know if mm. you notice in this movie like there's an action scene every 15 minutes yeah like he's he's covering for the fact that he cannot tell a story and he's just like well you know what at least they can't call this boring but when you drop a plot thread that big in attack of the clones and then just decide you know what i've got some criticism so i'm not going to explain any of that just pretend like it didn't happen like it just again it screams you're just making this up as you go along, and you've got really thin skin in terms of criticism. Mm -hmm. He uh, apparently, 
when uh, in Attack of the Clones, when Obi-Wan Kenobi is in the Jedi archives, one of the busts that he was looking at was supposed to be that of Christopher Lee's Count Dooku, and they didn't put it in there. Yeah, and that seems like that would be pretty good world building to have it in there, but uh, I, yeah. So yeah, my, my time capsule this week is just numerous examples of George Lucas just kind of flying by the seat of his pants, which is extraordinary. It, it blows my mind that he's had this level of success, but I guess as I touched on last week, maybe it was his ex-wife that really was the the true uh, master stroke uh, for what created Star Wars. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. What, what I like is um, you have John Favre and David Filoni both understand George Lucas and what he's trying to do. And you can tell because they're actually doing Star Wars better than George is right now. Because, again, George is the visionary. This is what Star Wars is supposed to be. And now you have people that can actually go and, and build that out. Because George is not the guy who's able to do that. So, I just... It's one of those things where I wish he had gone with his original vision where he was going to direct The Phantom Menace and then he was going to let two other directors come in and take care of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because can you imagine what how different this trilogy would have been if his ego hadn't gotten hurt with Phantom Menace and him deciding he had to prove himself? I, I can't imagine. I mean, it, it's just, it's such a lost opportunity and, and I'll probably talk about it more on the recap, but it's just, I hate to say it, Many times in this whole franchise, episode one, two, and three, I'm just like, imagine if a real director made this. And I, again, I'm not pretending like I have the talent of George Lucas, and I'm not pretending that directing is an easy job, but I just, if it were just competent acting, and when acting is this poor across the board, I just can't help but blame the director. And when stories are so ill thought out and just changed on a whim, it's just well, and you know it's the director because you've seen all of these actors in different things and you know what you know the caliber of talent he was working with because everyone was eager to work on Star Wars and then this is what they got because George didn't know how to hand the torch. Yeah, and I mean there's plenty of franchises these days where I know people are just showing up for the paycheck. But I don't feel like Star Wars, especially in 1999, when everybody signed on and agreed to this, there was genuine, like, you were, as an actor, this is a a bucket list item to be in a Star Wars mm -hmm. movie, and he still can't elicit good performances from anyone. It's just, it's unforgivable. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, speaking of good performances, Travis, I think we've gotten to the part of the show where we're going to chop up this movie and we're going to turn it into two different genres. Oscar bait, which we'll see if I was able to successfully make this into an Oscar bait worthy film. You got family friendly, but to add an extra layer of difficulty to this, we have been trying to actually create a cohesive story. So for anybody coming into the first time on this one, 
this is going to be very different because we've essentially we started with our chop shops in the uh the phantom menace and there were plot points that we made and changed there that carried over to clone wars that again changed what happened in clone wars and then we had to take those plot points and find ways to fit them into what happened in revenge of the sith while at the same time still staying true to the trilogy that we were creating so this is uh, the first time we've ever done this won't be the last because i think we had a lot of fun doing it but it is definitely definitely <laughs> it was an interesting exercise in terms of doing the chop shop so travis i will ask you who would you like to go first in this week's chop shop? Uh, I, I honestly have I have no preference, Brett. I just to touch on what you just said. My my chop shop, it it barely connects to Revenge of the Sith. There there are a couple plot elements that connect, but I I could not I could not execute the exercise. Uh, considering the, the box I painted myself in last week, and then I got fucking family-friendly on top of it all. So um, that's my disclaimer. So if you want me to go first, I, I will. If you want to go first, I'm fine. Uh, oh, fuck it. I think mine's probably shorter than yours, as we talked a little bit pre, pre-show. pre So I'll do that. I, as a special thing, I don't know. Maybe if I have a little free time, I might actually try and cut our three our Please our don't. trilogy together Please don't. and just and post a special edition episode where you can just listen to our entire our entire trilogy as a whole uh i think that'd be fun <laughs> uh if you do that brett it's it's treason <laughs> it's treason then but please go ahead order 66 do you know how often like if i cook something in the microwave i do 66 order 66 like do you know how often 66 winds up in my daily life because of this fucking stupid movie Wait, like if i needed you microwave everything for 66 seconds if I need to microwave something for a minute, it goes in for 66 seconds because I'm always executing order 66. If if I'm doing something and I don't want to do it anymore, like I will tell people that probably had, don't remember this movie. I'm like, we got to execute order 66. Travis, I don't know if you remember when we played a lot of Xbox back in the day, but when we needed to jump out of a lobby, it was just in chat. Uh, we would just get him like everybody order execute order 66. And the group would just bail out of whatever lobby we were in. Like execute order 66 is a major... The number of times I wind up getting order 66 at a restaurant is ridiculous. I'll look at my receipt and it's just like, I got order 66. I got to go kill somebody. Like <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, number follows me everywhere. All right. I digress though. All right. So as we remember, Darth Maul did not die at the end of Phantom Menace for me. He had his legs cut off. He reappears and when I had to turn the Attack of the Clones into a horror flick, at the end of that, we realized Darth Maul is is trying to stop Sidious's plan because he is upset that he was replaced, right? Just a little backstory. Because people are going to be confused where Darth Maul came from. All right, so we open with the opening crawl because I feel like we have to explain some stuff because we've got a time gap, right? The opening crawl... Uh, starts explaining that the revelation of the clones, that there, there's all of these senators and upper society people, uh, clones of them on Kamino, has thrown the Galactic Senate into chaos with everyone being accused of not being a real person and actually being a clone. Kind of like a Manchurian candidate type situation, right? 
Beyond that, Maul has continued his quest to distort, uh, destroy Sidious and is murdering politicians, businessmen, higher-ups with his motivations unknown to the Jedi. Public opinion of the Jedi is starting to turn uh, as more members of the Upper Society are murdered with lightsabers and force powers. Anakin and Padme have begun a secret relationship and Obi-Wan and Anakin have been dispatched based on a lead provided by Chancellor Palpatine to pursue Darth Maul. All right. After our opening crawl, we got a ship flying into a planet. It is Obi-Wan and Anakin find Maul, all right, right after he has killed another senator. Right off the bat, the three begin a lightsaber battle, very reminiscent to the one between Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Darth Maul at the end of The Phantom Menace. As the battle rages on, Anakin's hand is cut off, but Obi-Wan is able to subdue Maul, putting him in Republic custody. So this is, I don't think Anakin had been damaged or not. Maybe he had, had I can't remember, but arm is cut off. Back on Coruscant, um, Padme visits Anakin in the med bay and reveals that she is pregnant. All right. Maul is interrogated by the Jedi and is a very open about his plans to dismantle the Sith. Maul reveals that the Sith have been prolonging their lives for centuries using clones and the teachings of a Sith Lord named Darth Plagueis. Plagueis was able to transfer his consciousness to new hosts, allowing him to cheat death. To ensure the hosts were Force-sensitive, the Sith have been cloning themselves over time and have been taking positions of power and now have decided to strike. All right? So they have, they've been planting themselves throughout the galaxy in positions of power. Maul himself is not a clone, but a new alkalite brought on by Sidious to overthrow the current Sith power structure. So beyond the Sith, Sidious is now trying to plot to take over the Sith. The Jedi Council are unnerved by the revelation. They realize that Maul might be a necessary evil to eradicate the Sith, but realize doing so would be against their code and the laws of the Republic to just let him go, right? Yoda and Mace Windu debate if they can pursue the clones, uh, if Maul were to tell them who they were, with Yoda being very uh, against the idea. It is not the place of the Jedi to, to start pursuing Sith clones. The Jedi are okay. Anakin begins to have visions of Padme dying in uh, childbirth. Knowing that Palpatine knows of their relationship, Anakin confides in him. Palpatine explains that there are there's more to the Force than the Jedi are willing to let him study, telling that the Sith know of ways to prolong life or to cheat death. Now, at this point, Anakin doesn't know that Palpatine is Lord Sidious. He only knows of one Sith, and that's Darth Maul. So hearing this, Anakin goes to see Maul and ask him about the dark side of the Force. Anakin enters Maul's cell to the shock of Maul, right? Maul recognizes Anakin as an adult because he saw him as a kid, I believe, in The Phantom Menace, in my version. It's revealed that Anakin was not just an orphan because in mine, he wasn't, he didn't, he was just an orphan on Tatooine. But he's actually a clone of Darth Plagueis himself and was intentionally left on Tatooine should anything happen to Darth Plagueis. Plagueis had become paranoid of Sidious as he gained political power under the name Palpatine, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, must have placed a clone of himself as a safeguard on Tatooine, but either he failed to transfer his consciousness or intentionally did not transfer his consciousness to protect his longevity so that Sidious wouldn't be able to find him. Maul tells Anakin that only Sidious knows the trick to Ormitality, and Maul's, um, 
And basically, earlier, it basically reveals that Sidious is Palpatine. Maul seizes the opportunity and attacks a stunned Anakin, escaping in the process to kill Palpatine. Anakin rushes to stop Maul, only to find a group of Jedi already attempting to put him into custody. Because the Jedi were actually listening in on the conversation between Anakin and Maul the whole time. Anakin pleads with them to take him alive when Mace tells another group of Jedi to take Anakin into custody as well for being a Sith clone. Anakin attacks the group with Palpatine joining and they overtake the Jedi. Now revealed to Sidious, the Chancellor convinces Anakin he is no longer safe and the Jedi are enemies of the state. Using the a holocon recording of Mace Windu and Yoda discussing killing senators, the Jedi are now publicly labeled as enemies of the Republic. Anakin takes an army to the Jedi Temple, where here many are arrested or killed, and the remaining Jedi go into hiding. Palpatine blames the death of the upper society across the galaxy on the Jedi, pushing a narrative that they conspired to overthrow the government. Palpatine seizes power as Emperor to extinguish the Jedi and the clone threats and preserve peace in the galaxy. Very similar to what happens in this movie. This is where I have a little of a bracket where I can't quite make the connection. I can't tell if Maul goes to kill Padme to stop basically... I don't know why Maul would know that Padme has children at this point. This is the part where I, I couldn't quite figure out. But ultimately, it leads to Anakin and Maul facing off uh, again... But Anakin has completely embraced the dark side and is easily over, able to overpower Maul um, due to his newfound strength in the dark side. Padme intervenes thinking that she can save Anakin like that classic, like, like stop, stop, like, if you do this, there's no turning back situation. Um, you're going down a path I can't follow. <laughs> and Anakin accidentally strikes her down, leaving her mortally wounded. Obi-Wan takes her, he's able to save her, or grab her, saving the twins. Obi-Wan ends up on Tatooine so that he can watch over Luke and also investigate Anakin's actual origins now that they know that he's an actual clone of Plagueis. Yoda takes Leia but does not tell Obi-Wan where he's taking her to keep basically the secret so if any of them were to be captured, they wouldn't be able to be interrogated to reveal the other. That way, in the original trilogy, we can still make it oh my god leia is his brother or sister like we had no idea we don't reveal it here um and that's how the movie ends it's basically them going into exile and anakin becoming darth vader and in the battle with you know he's able to take on darth maul but mark darth maul he's gonna get all cut up because maybe it's anakin versus darth maul and obi-wan at this point like a switch of sides because now anakin is the bigger threat but ultimately Maul is going to realize that he has to stop Anakin because Anakin is the clone of maybe the strongest Sith Lord ever. And that's why he's going to go after Padme. And that's what has a confrontation between those two. That's the part where I couldn't quite figure out how to get from Anakin becoming Darth Vader to Anakin having to face off against Maul and Padme dying. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense for Maul again he acknowledges how powerful anakin is whenever that scenario happens it's a it's a popular trope of like let me kind of weaken you by making you overly emotional because it's somebody you care mm -hmm. about in jeopardy i can't defeat you easily but i can use somebody you love as leverage so that i think mm -hmm. that tracks and kudos yeah, to perhaps you. oh go ahead Perhaps in the interrogation, Maul is able to sense why Anakin is asking these questions and maybe has a vision of Padme or something like that that leads him to pursue Padme. 
Yeah, and credit to you for still interweaving this in a, such a way where the actual big overlying themes and plot points of Revenge of the Sith hold true, because I, I did not accomplish that. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, I went... Ultimately, it was less about a giant war between factions, and it winds up being that there is this secret society, essentially, or shadow organization of the Sith, and that's the Jedi now have to try and take on the Sith, but are ultimately, you know, defeated because, for whatever reason, they didn't realize the Sith had been basically planting themselves and waiting for this moment. And then it goes back to, you know, if we, if we, if we decide we want to continue this trilogy into the, the original trilogy oh, where we just God. keep this story going, uh, I, can, I can keep it going with um, the rule of two. Like, obviously, Palpatine has now killed off all of the other Sith. He's killed off the Jedi because he's just power-hungry and only kept Vader around, so... You sadistic son of a bitch. You're actually thinking about when we do another Star Wars oh. trilogy continuing. Oh, I am I am trying to plan ahead where I'm like, okay, if I, I know where the original trilogy is, is there a way I can line up a, a couple a couple, you know, loose loose fig or uh, the what is it, threads here that I, I can attach it back in to where I can get into the original trilogy with what I've done here kudos to you kudos to you uh it'll be quite the contrast when you hear how my chop shop ends um but in terms of oscar bait i tried to go with the the shadow organization like i know we're trying to stay away from the political stuff but that manchurian candidate type thing where we find out then the big reveal that anakin is actually a clone himself the jedi immediately turning on him just by virtue of him being a clone not even giving him a chance by you know and that again pushing him to the dark side because these people that he's been with and trained just how quickly they turned on him just by virtue of hearing a small detail that like, yeah, it's not, he didn't choose to be a clone, you know? Yeah, no, I, I thought it played brilliantly. Well done. Alrighty. So you started with horror and then your second with uh, Phantom Menace then Attack of the Clones wound up being Blockbuster, right? And then you had to finish out the trilogy with a family-friendly Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it's loosely connected to Revenge of the Sith because, again, I not knowing that we were going to continue this perhaps for a total of nine films, technically, I, <laughs> I chose to focus on Jar Jar Binks, and I'm paying for it with every subsequent chop shop. <laughs> Uh, well, at a certain point you're gonna something's gonna happen i mean you know the 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 next trilogy doesn't it'll be jar jar's son you know <laughs> the the junior uh master accountant um <laughs> so full revelation and and i kind of figured it out about halfway through my chop shop i was kind of trying to riff on the movie twins starring danny devito and arnold schwarzenegger and <laughs> About halfway through, I realized that that movie is basically just the gag of Arnold is really big and Danny DeVito is really small. Like that's, uh -huh. It's kind of a one-note movie. Uh, so I kind of figured it out halfway through and then completely pivot and end up setting up the movie that I should have made. So, <laughs> But you'll, okay. you'll, you'll like where we leave this, I think. You're not, are you going to give us another fucking cliffhanger? Uh, <laughs> you'll have to just see, Brett. Um, I'm just going to start calling you Sly. 
So the movie's going to open up a few days after my events of uh, Attack of the Clones, which, as you recall, is Jar Jar discovers that the clone army is based upon his estranged brother named Brax. Brax Binks. By the way, the name of this movie is The Brothers Binks, in case you were wondering. Uh, uh, so... Uh, Jar Jar's discovered that his brother is the prototype of the clone army, and Jar Jar once again uses his forensic accounting skills to track down a series of payments sent from Camino to an individual's bank account in the resort city of Canto Bight. You remember Canto Bight? Well, I guess we haven't seen Canto Bight technically, but that's from the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, Obi-Wan grows more distrustful of Palpatine and uh, finds out uh, Jar Jar's connection to Brax and thus the clone army. So he asked Jar Jar to seek out his brother in hopes of learning more about the clones. Jar Jar departs for Canto Bight, enlisting C-3PO to accompany him on his journey. Because uh, if this is going to be family friendly, you know, throw in a droid. Easy money. Uh, Jar Jar and 3PO arrive on Canto Bight and Jar Jar uploads the address uh, where the Camino payments were going to 3PO. And 3PO warns that it's in a rougher part of town and they should exercise caution. Uh, the, the pair do their best to ignore street vendors and family-friendly prostitutes. Uh, they arrive at the apartment and knock on the door with no response. Jar Jar tells 3PO... Uh, he doesn't have any other plans, so I guess they'll just have to wait for Brax to return. Just then, a young Toydarian girl flies around the corner. Do you know what a Toydarian is, Brett? I do not. It's what Watto is. Oh, okay. So this is a basically a teenage girl version of Watto. And she asks, I'm not going to try to do the Watto so voice. So what does that look like? <laughs> She's just got a pink bow in her hair. <laughs> oh god okay that makes sense that sounds like a george lucas yeah <laughs> yeah just throw a pink bow uh the uh the toydarian girl says uh, asks if they know brax and uh jar jar says he's not my brother you should know where he is and uh she says i might what's it worth to you because of course we have to betray watto's uh race or whatever as as money hungry uh, the Toydarian introduces herself as, get this, Brett, she's going to be named Gelato. And uh, they negotiate a price, uh, and so she'll lead them uh, to Brax. After numerous kind of offers and counter offers, Gelato agrees to the price and tells Jar Jar and 3PO to follow her. Gelato leads the group to a stairwell, and they go down one flight of stairs and back into the hallway of the apartments. Gelato reveals that Brax is only one floor below in a different apartment. So we're going to have like a little comedic moment where Jar Jar is pissed at 3PO for paying such a high, high price when she literally led them down a flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. uh, Gelato knocks on the door. Brox, or Brax opens in a shock to see Jar Jar, uh, but is happy to see him, much to Jar Jar's surprise. Uh, Jar Jar asks questions about how Brax got involved with the clone army and why his DNA was used. And Brax says he doesn't know why he was given the offer, but it paid well and he has lots of debts. Uh, we'll download more of the plot with Jar Jar asking his brother if he knows any more about the clones. Um, Brax tells Jar Jar that he overheard plans of a hidden protocol within the clones. Something so secretive that details were moved from Kamino to nearby Rishi 
which is a tropical planet used by the Republic to monitor nearby cloning facility on Camino. So again, I'm giving you these authentic planet names, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't just use like a, a name generator, Star Wars name generator. <laughs> um, so Jar Jar begins to ask his brother if he'd go to Rishi with him to try to find more info about this hidden protocol, but he's interrupted by a knock on the door. Uh, Gelato flies over to the peephole and sees three henchmen of the huts. They found Brax and are here to collect yet another debt that he owes. Um, because this is family friendly, we're going to have the classic, you know, the group flees via the fire escape. We might even throw in a tango in cash. They use a belt to slide down a power line or some shit. Uh, but they're going to escape to Jar Jar's ship and head for Rishi. And we cut to a beachfront villa on Rishi at night. The group is dressed in all black, save for 3PO. Brax explains that a scientist from the cloning project lives in the villa and that the secret protocol details are locked in his bedroom safe. The group sneaks into the house with Brax disabling the security system. Uh, inside the house, Brax enters the code for the safe and opens it to reveal... A dozen gold bars. Brax quickly loads them into a backpack, and Jar Jar is very confused. They also don't look like security protocols. But before Jar Jar can get answers, an alarm sounds and security droids pour into the room, shortly followed by sirens outside. The group is arrested, and we cut to them sharing a prison cell. Brax reveals that while he had heard of a secret protocol, Order 66, uh, the plan was always to steal the gold, and then, hey, at least... Uh, he's reconnected with Jar Jar uh, as brothers, and they're going to get plenty of bonding time. Uh, there's going to be a montage of prison life, uh, including Gelato being released due to her young age, and C-3PO because he's a droid. Uh, we then cut to the brothers alone in the cell. Tally marks on the cell wall indicate they've been in prison for just over three weeks when a prison guard approaches. Hey, you Brinks boys, must be your lucky day. You got a visitor. Cut to the brothers being escorted to the visiting area where a bounty hunter named Bausch, B-O-U-S-H-H. -H. Does that name ring a bell to you, Brett? Bausch? Bausch? No. It's the actually the name of the bounty hunter that Princess Leia impersonates in, I believe, Return uh... of the Jedi. Which, that's going to be a little wink. So it's going to be this exact same character design. Um... And uh, Bausch is waiting at the table, and through the modulated voice from the helmet, the bounty hunter informs the brothers that uh, he needs help on a mission. And Brax replies in regards to the obvious problem, uh, we are incarcerated. I don't think we can assist. The bounty hunter laughs, stating that they have purchased both brothers for a handsome fee, and legally the brothers are servants to Bausch until the end of their sentences. Uh, we're going to have a montage leading uh, basically to the brothers being released and boarding Bausch's ship and being chained to their seats by the ship's droid staff. Once in deep space, Bausch puts the ship into autopilot and heads back to speak to the brothers. Bausch speaks. Now it's time to reveal our mission. Bausch then removes their helmet to reveal their true voice. And as the creature speaks, we hear, Our mission is to be a family again. <laughs> the Binks brothers are shocked to see their long-lost mother. 
The mother will explain that she never approved of the harsh training her husband gave to the two boys, and due to constantly fighting over it, the boy's father took the boys without her permission to, in her husband's word, prevent her from making the boys weak and pathetic. The mother has spent her life searching prison population documents, obituaries, etc., in hopes of locating her boys again. She says she wasn't surprised to find them in prison based upon how their father was raising them. So that's ultimately going to lead to the brothers Binks have to stay with their mother and reconnect as a family. And I'm thinking stepbrother vibes, stepbrothers. Yeah. Oh, see, I thought you were going to go boondock saints, but with a matriarch instead of a patriarch. I hate boondock saints, so I couldn't tell you anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I did not see Mama Binks showing up. So, yeah, basically, I wrote a three page first act to Step Brothers called The Brothers Banks. Uh, yeah, it'd be fun to watch them on a, a spaceship sharing a sharing a bunk bed. Oh, <laughs> a lot of room for activity. So, yeah, uh, if if uh, I'm going to keep that storyline going, uh, it'll be quite a challenge to tie that into A New Hope. Um, I'm just trying to think of how you, uh, since you brought him you could just have her doing a hollow recording to somebody else saying that they, uh, used to work with Jar Jar, that they're their only hope. <laughs> and then Jar Jar, Jar Jar dies in between or is gone. Maybe he's found at some other point, but like, yeah, just pick a different new, a, a new main character. Yep. I'll have to workshop that uh, before we return to the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Alrighty, sir. Um, well, I think that about does it for us. Uh, final assessments. I guess we are are rating our favorite Star Wars based on ones we have watched for this podcast. So at this point, it is only the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. So do you want to, as of right now, what is your, your order of favorite Star Wars movies? So up until this point, I, I had the Phantom Menace narrowly edging Attack of the Clones. Uh, thankfully, this movie is still the best of the prequel trilogy, in my opinion. It still holds the number one spot. Um, as much... It's not as good as I remember, Brett. And I didn't remember it being great. Um, <laughs> but it, for some reason, I recalled the acting being stronger in this movie. It's it's not. There's a couple scenes with Ewan McGregor where he is serviceable. Uh, all the same problems I complained about through the first two movies, they're, they're still present here. Um, the, the final lightsaber battle, like I said, it's it's got the most pathos of any fight in star wars history in my opinion but much like the phantom menace i just kind of felt myself just waiting for that final fight so it's the best of the bunch which again is damning with faint praise but i if you like star wars i, I would still recommend this one uh yeah i i think it is for me revenge of the sith and then Attack of the Clones and the Phantom Menace. Uh, Phantom Menace, I still think has with that 
Darth Maul in the last fight, I still think has the highlight of the prequel trilogy. It is still my favorite part of the prequel trilogy. Uh, I just, I think, as we kind of joked and alluded, George Lucas kind of got better at making movies the more he read internet praise, or not praise, <laughs> as, as more criticism. And for that, it just, you know... By the time he gets to Revenge of the Sith, that it is a, a better movie. Attack of the Clones was, in terms of holistically, a better movie than The Phantom Menace. So it is just, I, I hate to say it, that is that is the order for me. Uh, sadly, as much as I dog on these movies, I'll go back and watch them again, probably sooner than later. I know I'll definitely introduce my children to them. I, will I know this is going to be your question. It will be uh, order of release is how and i will introduce that's it that's the so. way to do it yeah 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 i will introduce my girls to the original trilogy and then the prequel trilogy and then the sequel trilogy i am interested to go back and i'm sure i'll wind up watching all nine movies now just because i'm in a star wars mood but to go back and watch the sequel trilogy and see now that i have the prequel trilogy fresh on my mind if they are as bad as i remember them being um i think my gripe with the last jedi is much different than most people's gripe with the last jedi um and that i had no problem with ryan johnson trying to take things in a different direction i just thought that there were a lot of cop-outs and that rather than just commit to it they wound up creating back doors i mean nothing will be as dumb as space leia but i think that the movie as a whole like it just it wanted to go somewhere and maybe the studio got involved and basically handcuffed it to the past rather than letting it actually move forward. Like I think Ryan Johnson's vision was, but we'll get into that when we actually review that trilogy, but it will be interesting to see how that stacks up now that I have actually watched the prequel trilogy again. And it is less about remembering it. And as we talked about here, you know, the nostalgia of, remembering watching it with my friends and family and stuff like that and, and how that was impactful at the time. So, yeah, I, I, you know, if I had my druthers, we will do, uh, the sequel trilogy or the original trilogy sooner rather than later, because yeah, I, I'm very curious to know what the sequel trilogy looks like to me, because my big complaint with the sequel trilogy was it didn't feel like anything was pre-planned. And for mm -hmm. some reason I, I had the idiotic notion, I guess, rose-colored glasses, I don't know, that George Lucas had a set plan through the first three movies. And that's the biggest revelation on reviewing this trilogy is that it's clear that Lucas was kind of making it up as he goes and then also responding to criticism real time. So maybe that'll the sequel trilogies will be better than I remember because of that fact. Yep. So, all right, everybody, thank you for joining us for... You know, our our third episode here, we will be recording a wrap-up. I'll probably try and release that on uh, May the 4th, just because that was the whole point of this as we were leading up to May the 4th. So post the wrap-up on May the 4th, and then I believe the next trilogy we've got coming out is the musical tie-in trilogy. Uh, does that sound about right? I... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the... Uh, musical tie-in i had a better name for that uh tune-up i think as i was gonna call it the tune-up trilogy because it was but we're doing um footloose casino royale and men in black because all three of those movies 
had a song written specifically for that movie. Um, so we'll do that. So we'll see. Maybe it'll change the order a little bit. But I did think it was ironic that we did the sci-fi trilogy so we, that we could put sci-fi into the mix and then immediately reviewed four sci-fi movies <laughs> after that trilogy so we couldn't actually use that. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's us and our great planning. So maybe maybe we give oh, Georgie a little bit of an apology. I don't know. But thanks again. Travis, any final words before we sign off? From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Then they were lost! Okay, hold on. I forgot to copy and paste that in. <laughs> so I don't have the script. <laughs> I, I, I just so, realized I I only wrote all of this, Brett, just so I could hear you deliver that you were the chosen one line. Because other <laughs> than you and McGregor, nobody delivers it like you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, I wasn't sure if somebody was executing Order sixty six on no, you. No, no, no. I it sounded like thunder, but yeah, I, I did want to double check and make sure it wasn't on a, a knock at the door. But yeah, I think we're good. You were the chosen one!